so many ways now in which um, we, we can deliver incredible customer experiences for people but we do need the right people and the right people to have the right tools to be able to, to give service without having to be servile about it. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue episode number 337. Today is Sunday the 21st of July 2019 and this interview is with Sophie Devonshire. Sophie's the CEO of the Caffeine Partnership, an award-winning strategic consultancy specialized in brand-led business growth. Sophie's also a keynote speaker and author, having published Superfast, Lead at Speed, How Pace Can Drive Performance by John Murray Learning. Superfast was shortlisted for the Best Leadership Book at the Business Book Awards 2019. Sophie's also been founder of Babes with Babies, was board director at Quince Essentially, a leading luxury lifestyle group. And in this conversation, we talk about how branding has changed, the role and essence of purpose in business, and how to be super fast, successful, and purposeful. Stand by, I'll be right there. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Sophie Devonshire, how lovely to get you on the podcast. You and I met, and and it was um, almost a, a meeting that could have been an infinite meeting because of so many things that we shared, people we know, and uh, energy that I appreciate. So, in your own words, Sophie, describe yourself. Um, <laughs> there's an interesting question in itself. So, I'm uh, the CEO of the Caffeine Partnership. I'm a brands person, I'm an entrepreneur, um, and I'm a curious person. I'm always interested in understanding more about business and people and the way in which leadership can transform the world in which we live. Um, I'm also an author. Um, My book came out last September, so I'm still uh, reveling in the novelty of being able to say I'm an author as well. It is a funny feeling, isn't it? I do remember the first one, so... Your book is called Superfast, Lead at Speed, How Pace Can Drive Performance. Tell us uh, the main gist of your book. Well, I found myself in a situation a couple of years ago where the clients I was working with and the friends I had who were um, senior leaders inside organisations were frustrated about two things. Firstly, they were um, often very frustrated that despite the incredible advances in technology and opportunity, that we see in the business world, they felt like their businesses weren't moving fast enough. But at the same time, they were also frustrated that they had email inboxes where the emails were multiplying like rabbits, they had to-do lists twice as long as their arm, they had huge things they wanted to do, and they were just overwhelmed by the the pressure of the hot breath of the shareholder and the um, impatience of their customer, and so they were exhausted. So what I wanted to do with this book was to explore how we can lead, how we can work, how we can survive and thrive in a world which is moving super fast and to understand all the positives and the opportunities that that gives us now in this really rapidly changing world but also understand how to uh, deal with the pace with grace and to do it in a way which is um, enables us to be responsive and responsible. So that's the, the theory and the thoughts behind the book, trying to find ways to help people 
navigate their way through uh, exciting and interesting times in business. Well, I'm certainly a buyer of that. You recently got it into an audio format as well. What was the uh, reasoning behind that? Did you, did you uh, narrate it? I did, and uh, it was fascinating, actually, because as soon as the book came out, a lot of people asked when it would be available on Audible. Um, it's this really different way to understand and listen to books. You could do it when you're commuting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but one of the reasons I was really keen to make sure I narrated it um, is because the statistics about women writing business books and selling business books um, certainly very, very low, and certainly narrating them. So I think in the top 40 um, business books at the moment on Audible, only one is narrated by a woman. So there was a point of principle mm -hmm. to um, be able to talk about it. And you know what? It was also really fun to read through the book again, to actually um, think about it at a slightly different pace and bring it to life. So I'm really glad I was able to do that. There's nothing like actually reading words that you had written to be read as opposed to be listened and, and speaking of women narrated books, not a, not a business book, but a book I, I certainly appreciated listening to was Michelle Obama's Becoming, which is really a very interesting. First of all, she's got a beautiful voice, which helps. Second of all, her writing is sine qua non beautiful. And of course, you got the insights of everything that happened in the White House. So it is, it is a great book. Um, and congratulations for that, Sophie. It certainly sounds like a lot of people are struggling with this pace of change, yet constrained by the same old 24 hours. What about the personal life and all that? How, what's your approach to managing the personal life and, and this notion of balance? Is, is there such a thing in your mind? One of the interesting things was uh, the insights from the people I spoke to in researching the book. So I had a whale of a time speaking to 100 different global leaders all with very different business challenges, all with very distinct personalities and personality types, and all, of course, with different home lives and, and personal situations. A huge number of them talked about um, the desire to, get, to move away from the notion of a work-life balance, partly because they were, um, as the psychologist Adam Grant calls them, engaged workaholics, so for them, work was their life but also partly because it isn't as straightforward as, as we are switched on and we are switched off. There needs to be um, another way of looking at it. But one of the areas that we explored in Superfast was to understand the concept of energy management versus time management. And energy comes from uh, all kinds of different areas depending on what type of person you are. But certainly everybody I spoke to, everybody I continue to speak to, wants to find a way to have a life where they can do more than just work and where a life outside work actually informs and energises the work they do. So it's a very complex notion and it's individual for everybody, um, but it's always worth looking at and understanding what you prioritise and how you bring those things together. And there are some tools and techniques for really making sure you get that balance right and some ways of, of measuring it as well. It's been my observation, Sophie, that there are many people, as you call them, these work work colleagues or work people whose life is work, and yet I, I hear I just, it's this little narrative that I keep on hearing about someone's doing this work, but the thing I really love is I do this as a hobby, and I kind of consider that a side hustle. Doesn't yet make money, but it actually 
consumes their energy, gives them energy, and is the thing that really makes them tick. And yet they're sort of stuck in this other mousetrap that, that isn't where they're going. They're where they're, yes, they're getting the money. And then now you've got them doing a real job, a side hustle, and they're still trying to fill their personal life. Is that something you've observed as well? I think whatever you're trying to do in your life, um, the challenge is fitting it all in and working out what you really want to do. And one of the big areas we explore in Superfast is to understand, well, it's the best bit of advice I've ever received. A few years ago when um, dealing with overwhelm, when someone said to me, um, darling, it was a very good friend, they said, darling, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And one of the biggest challenges for all of us, if we're ambitious, if we want to get most out of life, is deciding what we don't do. So to become a great editor of our lives. So yes, if that side hustle is important, yes, if your family is important, you have to make it happen. But that involves saying no to other things. That involves being strategically lazy and doing what only you should do and having the confidence to not do other things which is often very tricky if you're a nice person. If you're a decent person, it's actually harder to say no, to delegate, to automate, to make sure you're not doing things that you shouldn't be doing. And that, I think, is one of the biggest challenges yeah. for anybody who's trying to achieve something. Like saying no to a friend, hey, let's go out for a drink at the pub. Yeah, but I can't, if I do that, that's an hour and a half, and that probably cuts into my sleep, actually. And so you need to be a little bit selfish. The other person might be a little offended, and, and so goes. Sophie, you you and I both enjoy branding and the notion of brand today. Let's start with just how how important is brand in your mind today differently from the past? I think the concept of brands has changed enormously. Um, what's fantastic is our understanding of how to use brands in business has really developed as well. So I've, I've always uh, worked in the brand world, um, both inside organizations um, and as a consultant. But what's changed now is that brands continue to be a shortcut for people. And in a super fast, uh, rapidly changing world, your brand is more important than ever. But the most interesting area is where we discover people who've um, taken their organization brand and are building that, not just their product brands. And those people, I think, are starting to understand that brands are built from inside out. It's not just a sticking plaster that can hide a bad business or, or, or make something better than it isn't. They're now, they really do have to be built on truth. And that has changed because of social media, because of a more transparent world. You know, we can see what leaders are doing and that impacts on the brand as well. So I think there has been a fundamental shift in the desire for brands to be more truthful in all kinds of different ways, um, which in itself is a real positive for society and for business. So it's funny that you should say this expression inside out. I mean, of course, I 100% subscribe to that. And yet there is a thing called customer centricity, which brands and companies are jumping on saying, oh, the customer is king, customer pays my bills. So you need to be outside in. You actually need to focus on the shoes, getting into the shoes of the customers, figure out what they want, and then organize that within. So how do you, how do you what's, what's the narrative for you, Sophie, as you fix between inside out and outside in? 
So we talk about inside in and inside out as a way of looking at it. So actually, it's built from having an organisation where people do get as close as possible to the customer to be able to anticipate what's happening. And actually, that's very much a a principle about pace. If you have an organisation that wants to move at the right pace, human understanding is absolutely critical. Technological understanding will speed things up as well, but human understanding, understanding yourself, understanding your team and getting as close as possible to your customer. But you need to build it from inside the organisation so that the processes, the customer experience and the communications are all not just an afterthought um, and artificially put there, but are true, relevant and compelling. And bringing that all together requires leadership. Um, I think there's been a real shift away from thinking about brands as just a a marketing opportunity. Um, A true brand inside an organisation brings together marketing, sales, finance, customers, everything, um, because it is everything that you do that the customer now sees and experiences as the brand, not just what you say. So that's inside out and insight in. Love it. Well, so um, another thing that you and I share is this notion of purpose. Let's say that we're not alone. The words are used regularly and so many companies write their meaningful purpose on the wall and it just doesn't happen. But in in your mind, actually, what is purpose? What qualifies as purpose? How do you define the notion? Purpose has had a huge backlash recently because it's been seen um, to some people as artificial or um, irrelevant. But purpose has been around for us all as humans for hundreds of years and certainly for businesses as well. It's the North Star for an organisation for me. I'm more interested in purpose for individuals and purpose for organisations in some ways than just purpose as an advertising tool. And purposes for organisations, it's an aspirational reason for being. It's a way of bringing people together beyond just profit. And it's always been that way. You know, the Quakers with their Cadbury's and other companies. Um, Hewlett-Packard um, in the 1960s also talks about purpose. Um, it's, I quite like it when people use other words to describe it as well. So um, a lot of people talk about mission-led organisations or vision-led organisations. Whatever it is, for me, purpose is a why. It's a way of bringing people together. It's a narrative that also has to be true has to be meaningful. So what purpose brings is it brings meaning inside your organisation. Um, and at Caffeine, one of the things we, we talk to leaders about is the needing need for four things to make things work um, inside an organisation which is moving super fast. You need meaning, you need coherence, you need engagement, and you need leadership to bring all that together. So meaning is purpose. It's the why are we doing this, how can we bring meaning to this, which helps motivate people and get them moving. Um, The word motivate actually comes from Mavir Latin, to move. So purpose, for me, drives pace. And purpose makes work more engaging, more meaningful and more fun. So I definitely think it still has an important role to play. um, And I want to keep fighting the cynics who believe that uh, that it's just something that can be um, words on a wall rather than a way to bring together great organisations for a greater purpose. Well, you might be fighting cynics, but you're certainly not fighting Sinek. R.R. <laughs> um, Simon Sinek. Um, <laughs> purpose. So we've got this idea that it, it moves people. Um, is something? Is purpose something that 
every company can have. And I want to qualify that statement by something I hear regularly, which is, well, money moves me. Yeah, and money will always move some people. Um, but the science shows that it is not the number one motivator for most people. Um, and you know, the evidence, you see it all around you. Plenty of people choosing to do things with their lives that aren't just about money. Now, money has an important role to play and people take jobs because of their salary. But people also often want to be part of something, to be building something, to have that sense of purpose and bringing it together. And it doesn't have to be a purpose that is linked to CSR or something that's particularly um, complicated or environmental or whatever. Um, There's some great examples of organisations who talk about their purpose in different ways. Um, Lego, for example, um, brought itself back from the brink of bankruptcy, partly through a new inspiring narrative around how they inspire the builders of tomorrow. You know, the concept of what they can do and bringing everything together is fantastic. Um, I love the example of Premier Inn. It's a budget hotel chain and its purpose is to give people a good night's sleep. It's a purpose beyond profit. It's a purpose that actually will drive profit. But it's a really great way to filter decision making for them as an organisation and to help everybody feel inspired that what they're doing is something that's positive. And I believe that business has a really important role to play in society, that it brings dignity and it has a um, critical way of bringing communities together. But it often needs purpose to help drive that. Yeah, it's great, the idea of the Premier Inn. At the same time, it makes me think, well, does purpose have to be unique? Because at the end of the day, what hotel doesn't want to give you a good night's sleep? I mean, that's, you have to imagine that's what they're trying to do, why they invest in beds and all that. And, and how, how do you, do you think that every company can have a purpose? Well, the point about does it have to be unique, uh, there, is a, there is a focus that's needed. If you want to bring people together and really galvanize and grow an organization, it goes back to this question of editing. You have to choose what the most important things are in whatever you're doing and whatever you're saying. So although every organization would like to give people a good night's sleep, it's that unrelenting focus for primary in which enables them to say, right, actually, we're not going to invest lots of money in building spas or, or working on the breakfasts. We're going to actually invest quite a lot of capital expenditure in sorting out our um, air conditioning because we've chosen to focus on a good night's sleep. Um, and it's also a very insight-driven, um, uh, because you, know, you don't go to Premier Inn to, to have a particularly luxurious long-term experience. You go because it's just before you're going on a flight or just before you're um, going to a meeting. So being able to understand your customer and focus on what they need and also understand your organisation, bring it together. Um, the sort of understanding of competition, your company, the context um, and the consumer, bringing all that together that's what makes any proposition unique in some ways. So, yes, it, it doesn't have to be uh, something wild and wacky. It has to be something that's relevant, and that's, that's probably most important. But also, if you can articulate it in language that people remember easily, that helps everybody inside the organisation get behind it and gives you that, that focus and that filter. That was the first part of your question, wasn't it? It was good. It was good. The second one was... Can every, should every company or can every company have a purpose? 
I th I'm always reluctant to have any um, statement in life which imposes a should on people. Mm -hmm. I think if you're ambitious and you want an organisation which is going to be focused and which is going to grow and develop, then finding a way to get to the truth of what will unite and inspire people um, is a really effective way to do that. And an artificially constructed purpose always feels exactly like that corporate language, which doesn't mean anything that sits on a mug or a wall and, and not in the hearts of people. That's definitely not right. But very often there's a founder's vision or there is a, um, an insight about the customer that can be drawn into a purpose. Um, and that creates a great story to bring everybody together. So overall, it's always worth exploring. Is there a North Star? Is there a focus for your organisation that you can articulate and then align everybody behind? So in, in, in listening to you, I, I certainly agree that it's not about should. It needs to be felt to be authentic. So let's, let's stick with the Premier Inn one because I like the concreteness of it. I've always had this little idea that the really singular purposes are ones that you live so that as an employee or the CEO of the company, it's something that is you, it, you bleed it. So in the case of having a good night's sleep, the suggestion would be then that all employees of this company sleep well, or that there should be some sort of relevance back into us as human beings, as employees of Premier, where we too are focused on living that dream if you will <laughs> your thoughts yes and I think that's that's one of the big steps that organizations are now taking to move beyond focusing on communicating to their customers but to getting that engagement internally where they're um, bringing the the brand and the purpose to life inside the organization um, and in a customer service organization or any organization where you've got customer facing people it's particularly important to have that um, one of the things I like about um, the premier in premise is that of course that's inspiring for those people who are behind the counter um, you know doing check-in mm -hmm. you know they really think about how um, how people look and what might and you know and empathize how tired they, they are and to ask the right questions um, it's the same if you think it you know stay in the hotel um, chain, uh, group if you think about Ritz Carlton ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen you know finding a way of helping uh, people inside the organization feel good about the role they're playing helps translate purpose into um, a customer experience that everybody loves um, and I think as you're uh, implying here there's also a greater aware awareness of people now that well-being motivation um, getting your employees to to really feel good about being part of all this is absolutely critical now well just imagine the employee who's at the desk who had a crap night's sleep has bags under the eyes I'm feeling horrible I hope you are you tired yeah me too anyway but going to the Ritz uh, example which is interesting to me as I've had the chance to hang out with them and work with them a little bit when you're in a luxury environment, one of the challenges is actually having ladies and gentlemen within, let's say, because generally speaking, the shop assistant on the floor of a very high-end luxury goods company, they can't afford to wear what these other ladies and gentlemen who are walking in can. can. 
And so uh, there's a challenge at some level finding the way the aspiration that is intended in the communication externally to be bought in. Because if you want to be inside out, mm. you, you obviously want to hire people who have a certain class and certain or at least distinction of some sort. But when it comes to shop assistant or retail, you don't have the budget or and, and you won't get, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> to work as sales assistants. And I think it's a really interesting area. Um, and I've been lucky enough to work with a number of luxury brands. And I do think that thinking about service, not civility, as an approach and getting people to understand what amazing customer service can be um, is a, a challenge, whatever type of, of business you have. Um, I love Pret as an example, um, of course, and most people do. Um, and actually, one of the simplest things they've done within within Pret is to um, uh, to really make sure that they've got fantastic customer service. And most people know that the way in which they hire is to get the rest of the team to check out whoever's um, you know, interviewing for a role. Um, but the story about the, the founder talking about how he hires people um, is very simple. He says he hires happy people because you can teach people how to make a coffee, but you can't teach people how to be happy. So if we talk about finding the right people to play luxury customer service roles, um, there are some very basic points about finding people who have empathy. And those who are empathetic can are, don't have to be the same as the people they're serving. They just have to look for how they can help, what they can do, and be inspired to be able to deliver that. Because otherwise you get, um, was it in Pretty Woman, the moment when she's on um, uh, Beverly in Beverly Hills and she walks into the shop and has this snooty shop assistant. And that's just hideous. You know, there are so many ways now in which um, we, we can deliver incredible customer experiences for people. But we do need the right people and the right people to have the right tools to be able to, to give service without having to be servile about it. Beautiful. So hire for attitude. Sophie, you've written a book now, um, super fast, and I'm just going to show you an experience that I had and see what you think now as well. Because I wrote a book about empathy specifically, and the, the, the research was fascinating, the opportunity to write about it, interview people, and, and then publish it. And then the issue is, oh my gosh, I'm now supposedly an expert in it, and presumably I'm always empathic. So you end up having to hold yourself up to a standard that you've written about and, and maybe, oh gosh, at times I'm not quite up to snuff. So I was wondering in the experience you had of, of writing this book, to what extent it's a blueprint that you've led, a blueprint that you would like to lead and or where you've had gaps uh, in your experience because it's one thing to write it, it's another thing to live it. It's a great question. Um, well, that's why it was so enjoyable writing the book, because uh, it does provide a framework um, which hopefully helps other people, but frankly, selfishly helps me. Um, within the book, the idea is that there are smart ways to structure so that you can be as a leader and as an organisation more responsive. So set up to be able to take the opportunities that are out there but also more responsible. Um, so human understanding, um, behaving in a way which isn't just about pace, but is with grace, um, finding ways to um, get the pace right as well, to think slowly and to move fast. 
So absolutely, I am um, determined to practice what I pe- preach as much as possible. Um, of course, the problem with having a book called Superfast is, you know, if you are particularly tardy in responding to something or the book takes longer than you want to write, you know, that puts an extra pressure on it all. Um, but I guess the other thing in terms of researching it and the conversations I'm having with um, leaders of all types at the moment is that we do now operate in a world where people are much more comfortable with imperfection, that they're interested in people sharing how hard it is to get everything right. Um, and that if we want to move forward, a lot of what we have to do is accept that 80% is often good enough. Uh, you talk about Michelle Obama, incredible book, you know, one of the best books I've read um, recently, both in terms of, of understanding her um, and thinking about life overall. And she says, and I, I won't be able to remember the exact quote, but there's That's something true. she says that is brilliant about the moment when she decided to stop caring what other people thought of her so there will always be people who don't like what you do who will criticize you who will um, have a different point of view to to you all and there are so many people who limit what they do and limit themselves by having a vicious troll in their own head which represents those people so accepting that you will always screw up and you won't be perfect but at least if you're moving in the right direction that you can feel good about it all um, is actually maybe one of the messages of the book is one of the messages from Michelle Obama who achieved amazing things um, and was very open about sharing it. So I guess I'm very happy to be open about my imperfections, but I'm trying, Minta, I'm trying. Sure. Do you think, Sophie, and this is going to get into the last area, that there is a difference between how women and men lead or is this some sort of fiction uh, and, and... What can we learn from our differences? Oh, this is a fascinating one. We could be here for hours on this. Um, I spoke about Superfast at an event um, recently, and one of the questions from the audience um, was to say, um, I talk about you know this 21st century type of, of leader who needs to, to lead in a, in a very different way. And someone from the audience said, so is this type of person um, more likely to be a woman? And doesn't that mean we need more women in, on the boards and running businesses? And the arch-feminist in me wanted to say, yes, yes, you're absolutely right, we must. Because I do think there is something that urgently needs to be done. We've been talking about this for a number of years. But the fact that things are changing so fast in business, but not in terms of gender diversity at a senior level, something has to be done. But... Do I believe that women are better at it than men? Do I believe there is this this major difference? I think most of the differences I see are societal, are um, part of you know decades, centuries of how men and women are taught that they should be thinking of themselves and behaving differently. It's not about innate ability. And so I think when I talk about the type of leader that I think we need in society right now, that's a leader who is human. That's a leader who understands that people are integral to business, to society, and dealing with things with heart and conscience, that's what's important. Um, And that is both genders, and it's just trying to find a way for us to reconnect with a human, not just about women being more naturally able to do it. And I think that there is a, a genetic difference that somehow 
has been encoded over the years, over the centuries, and, and makes the societal element, the social element, the listening element, including to the body, the rep- relationship with the body, that has a, a distinct difference. And, and so it's not that men are better or worse, it's that there were, we are somehow encoded differently and so I think there's a lot that men can be learning from women and vice versa. It's not then about becoming, you know, more female. It's just about and somehow onboarding some of these aspects of better listening, more more um possibly more empathy as far as men are concerned. Just the last part was um you 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 at caffeine, you talk about being fast forward female. And so I was just interested to know a little bit more about that. Well, I think part of this is um, it, how do we make sure we get this this um, redressing of the balance? So um, what's happening at the moment, I think, is that there is this real focus on uh, enough people understanding that diversity is important, that we mustn't have all-male panels, that we cannot be what we cannot see, and getting that balance. And some of that is about getting the numbers right. But I think there is also... Uh, a little bit of an element of where we see great potential leaders making sure they have um, the support to get them where they need to. Um, So within Caffeine, we help a number of female leaders um, as part of our work with executive teams. And some of that is purely about making sure that those women understand how they're communicating and how to sharpen the way in which they're doing that. So they're a terrible phrase but their personal brand how they're seeing it what their speed bumps and blockers are and so often for all of us they're in our own head um, but they're also about practicing certain ways of communicating Um, and it's never about not being authentic it's more about showing your best face about finding ways to to um, accelerate where you want to go so it's really just about exploring what leadership means for individuals and giving people the right um, boost to get them there, a bit of a shot of caffeine. Well, the word that comes to my mind is bravado. Uh, and I feel it's a very different expression for women and men. So the, the, the typical example is, a, there's, hey, listen, has any one of you done X? And the men in the room all shoot up their hand. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Of course, that wasn't the question, but I can do that. So... I have the bravado to imagine that I have done it, know the experience, and I can do it. A woman, or the women on the, in this room, would they won't raise their head, their hand. Yet they've all done it three or four times, and don't feel that they're yet accomplished enough to be able to to perform the requested uh, action. Is that something you've seen? And, and and when you talk about the boost, is that where we want to see more boost? That's exactly it, and we see it time and time again. Um, and what I want to make sure that we're doing and that more and more people are doing is taking those people who are incredibly qualified, who can contribute so much and making sure they have the confidence and the, the bravado, um, the ability to just say, yeah, yes, I can do it. And sometimes you just need people to believe in you or to coach you or to help you through that and say, why not? Why? What's stopping you? And I think that one of the positive things about the world in which we live right now is that men and women are supporting women now to do that. And there is a sense of urgency that we need to make sure that's possible and that change will happen. Because it helps all organisations, it helps society overall. We have to do something about it. Beautiful. Sophie Devonshire, thanks so much for coming on the show. 
tell us uh, how we can get super fast lead at speed um, and or get in touch with you, get understand more about caffeine. Thank you, Minta. Well, Superfast is available at all good bookshops um, and on Amazon, in hardback and um, on audio version. I'd love to know what you think about it. Um, come and find me on LinkedIn or I'm on um, Instagram as Ms. underscore speeds or Twitter, uh, which I love, um, as S underscore Devonshire. And you can find out more about the Caffeine Partnership and what we do at thisiscaffeine.com. This is Minter. Dot au revoir. Thanks, Sophie. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.